Hey everybody, welcome to Cape Christian. My name is Mac, I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us online, yeah. Welcome to our online uh, campus. We're so grateful that you're here today. Uh, if this is your first time checking us out, we're actually in the middle of a series on humility. And we've been making kind of a bold statement that uh, says this, that we believe that humility is the secret ingredient to life, love, and leadership. And it's the secret ingredient because nobody really ever wants to talk about it. You don't hear a lot of messages on humility. There's, there's not a lot of things being talked about in our world and our culture on humility. And yet, it's so deeply needed in our culture. I mean, wouldn't have everybody have loved to see two humble people on a platform debating on how to take this country to another place, right? We put a pro Oh, yeah, exactly. We would have loved... Like, I'd vote for that person. I'd vote for the person that walk up and go, you know what, we're sorry. <laughs> um, but um, humility is something that we love to see in other people. We love to, to, uh, to we value it in other people. We value it in, in and watching people who have a tremendous amount of wealth or power or resource, laying it all down for the little guy. We love seeing movies like that. We love reading about it. We, 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 we love that idea in other people. We think other people need a change in their life and in their love and in their leadership. We think other people need to have a good dose of humility. We love watching those stories or reading those stories, and yet we have a hard time fostering that kind of thing in ourselves because we think maybe for some reason that we deserve uh, the, 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 the life that we've uh, built for ourselves. We deserve the influence that we have. We don't want to lay, uh, lay that down for anybody else. We need that for ourselves. And so we love it in other people, but we have a hard time fostering it in ourselves. And this idea of humility, this, this kind of bowing low, actually, in the Hebrew, that's the image we're supposed to get, this bowing low. We love to see that in other people. We love seeing them lay their resources down or leveraging their resources for the sake of others who don't have that resource for themselves, but we have a hard time fostering that in our own lives. And one of the reasons is, I believe, what Pastor Cindy reminded us of last week, which is to live a life of humility, to live a life that is, that is characterized by that posture of, of being low and serving other people starts or begins with actually knowing who we are in Jesus, to know who we are and what God thinks about us. If we read the scriptures, it very clearly states how God feels about us and what he's done for us. But in order for us to, to live a life that, that sacrifices what we want for the sake of other people, we have to first understand what God thinks of us and trust that he has our back that, and trust that he has, uh, that he has uh, uh, kind of arranged everything for our benefit as well, to know that he's taking care of us. And when we know that, when we realize who we are in Jesus and we know how he feels about us and we know what he's done for us, we can then choose, because we, we learned that humility was a choice, we can then choose to lay our lives down for the sake of other people. And it's amazing when we do that without, uh, without desiring to be known for it or being applauded for it or, or being recognized for it, when we do that, um, that posture of humility, God does something amazing in our lives. He can take what little we bring to the table because I don't know about you, uh, about you but if you're anything like me, we, we feel a lot of times like we're not bringing much to the table here, that we, we, have very, uh, we have too little for God to use. But as Pastor Cindy reminded us last week, God can take the little that you have and do a lot with it. I love what one pastor said. He says, you can be too big for God to use, but you can never be too little for God to use. 
And when we have that posture of, of humility and, and submitting our lives to Jesus and allowing him to take what little we have and do a lot with it, something happens. Something happens in our family. Something happens in our workplaces. Something happens in our community. God begins to change and to transform those things. So we're gonna talk a little bit about why humility is the secret ingredient to life, love, and leadership. So if you would, would you just pray with me and then we'll take this journey together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your grace, those blessings that you've given to us that we don't deserve. We're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for your love for us. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to all that you have for us today. Lord, and I pray that it would transform our hearts so that we can be a reflection of the God that created us to a world that needs you today. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So how and why is humility the secret to life, love, and leadership? It's hard to see it actually in today's culture because today's culture is a little bit opposite. While we love to see it in other people, we actually have programmed ourselves with a little bit of a different value system. My kids are even learning it actually on the Disney Channel. If you believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything, right? If you see something that you want in life, reach out and take it. If you, if you have a dream, do everything you can to accomplish that dream. I mean, who wouldn't want to be the leading lady of their own movie? Who wouldn't want to be the leading man of their own movie to be the hero, right? We, 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 we've developed this culture in this society around, around those types of values. And what I've seen and what I've noticed actually is an unintended consequence of that. Because we've, we've developed a generation of people who, who believe that they're special and believe that, they're, that they're, um, they should be able to grab a hold of their dreams and accomplish anything they want. And yet they, they, they find out kind of harshly at times that the world can be a cold, hard, dark place that doesn't care how special Jimmy is. That a world that, that demands more out of us than actually just kind of showing up. And we've developed this, this idea that we can have whatever we want, but the value system of God's kingdom is a little bit different. And what happens is when we, when we do that and we create this expectation in the hearts of people, they run around trying to, to impress people that they'll never meet and they're exhausted trying to get a seat at the cool kids table or, or they're, they're running themselves ragged or into the ground trying to gain the approval of their parents who are trying to live their best life through the lives of their kids and we're just tired and exhausted trying to get more followers, trying to get more likes, trying to get more people on social media to think that we're just so cool and we're tired and exhausted and we just want to time out. We just want to go home and take a nap. And it leads us to ask ourselves what we asked ourselves at our last series, The Better Life, is this really all there is? Because if it is, I don't want any part of that. That's entirely too tiring. And we have a culture of people we have a generation, multiple generations of people who are tired and exhausted and bitter and disenchanted and disenfranchised, and that's not the life that God wants us to live. And if you give me just a few minutes, and if you open your mind, I think we can talk about maybe a new way to be human, a better way to be human. Because we really truly believe that humility builds a better life. 
but not the life like the world wants to, to shape for you, not the best life that the world thinks that you should have, the life that you were created to have, the better life that God wants you to have, the life you were meant to live. You see, God's value system is very, very different than the world. When Jesus came, he showed us, actually, in his life and his ministry, how to be a better human being. He showed us that if we, if we wanted to be first, then actually we have to be last. If we wanted to lead, we actually had to know what it was like to serve. If we wanted to, to gain the best life that we have for ourselves, we actually have to die to ourselves. If we want to accomplish the dreams that we have in our hearts, and dreams aren't bad, you should have them, but if we want to accomplish our dream, we actually have to submit our dream to the will of the Father. Lay our life down and grab a hold of what he wants for our life. We mentioned this scripture last week, and I just want to bring it up again. It's James 4, verse 6, and it says this, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, quite literally meaning that God pushes back against the prideful heart. He pushes back against a prideful heart, but he gives grace or undeserved blessings to those people who have a posture of humility or people who maybe haven't chosen to be humble, but through circumstances in their life have found themselves in lack. God has a special place in his heart for people who are oppressed, who are broken, who are hurting. God loves the humble. And the scriptures tell us he lifts them up. And actually, the writer, James, is not talking about anything new. He's actually repeating another passage of Scripture. That actually, this idea of God opposing the proud or bringing shame to the proud but lifting up those who are humble is a repeated theme and a repeated Scripture over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the reality is, as we said before, that God is pushing back against a prideful heart, not because he's mean, not because he wants to be the most important thing, but because he knows this very important fact, that when, when pride fills our heart, sin takes over. When pride, takes, when pride fills our heart, sin takes over. And what happens when sin takes over is sin will humble us as well. But sin humbles us through humiliation. And God humbles us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and allowing us to choose to humble ourselves. With sin, with pride in our heart, when sin takes over and it will humiliate us, it doesn't give us the choice. But God, through the gentle work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, gives us a choice when we're following after him. I love, uh, that's why uh, the proverb says uh, this, that pride comes before the fall. That's right. We said it here. You can type it into, uh, into the chat room. Pride comes before the fall. I actually love the way the message puts it. It says, first pride, then the crash. First pride, and then the crash. Because sin will humble you. But sin, hum sin humbles you through humiliation, and God gives you the opportunity through his infinite mercy and grace to allow you to humble yourself. And when you humble yourself, Proverbs said that God himself lifts you up. That's why God loves a, uh, loves a humble heart, and he doesn't like pride, because with pride, God can't lift you up. You're trying to do that yourself, and you're allowed sin to keep pushing back against that. But when you have a humble heart, God lifts you up in his perfect and beautiful way. I love how one pastor put it. He says, God knows how to humble you without humiliating you. And he knows how to lift you up without flattering you. 
See, God in his gentle and perfect way wants to lift us up so that we can live the best life that we can live. We can live the life that we were designed to live. God doesn't like pride. He'll actually push against it because he wants to be able to lift us up. He wants us to have a better way of being a human being, and that happens by lowering ourselves, not being walked on, but rather understanding that as God's children, we have access to the creator of the universe, and yet we don't access that relationship for our own benefit, rather for the benefit of others. And in that transaction, God actually advances his kingdom and his authority. It's fantastic. And when we do that, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience hard times in our life, but it does mean that God will sustain us through that hard time. And in the end, as scripture promises us, he will work it all for good for us. Now, in that reality, though, it seems like when we look at the world, let's, I mean, let's be real. When we look around at the world, it seems like the most arrogant, selfish, self-centered, prideful, childish people are in power. Around the world, it seems like that sometimes. Or they're the most successful. They've grown the largest companies. It seems like that at times, but it kind of depends on what your idea of success actually is. You see, wealthy people will tell you, and as our last series, The Better Life, showed us, that power, wealth, earthly success doesn't fill the void in our hearts. Only Jesus does that. And what's more is the power, success, and all of that doesn't build lasting relationship or lasting influence in our life. You see, what, what does is if we have a servant's heart, if we're humble, and we serve other people, it deposits these seeds of relationship, these seeds of love in the lives of the people that are around us so that we build a fulfilled life that we will need when it actually matters. We'll surround ourselves, we'll develop relationships with people that we have served, that trust us and we've invested in and they've invested in us. And then when the money's gone and the influence is gone and the power is gone, they will still be there. And when all of that is gone, Jesus will still be there. Because humility not only builds a better life for us, it actually grows a stronger love in our lives. You see, it's, it's pretty easy to connect with a humble person, isn't it? It's pretty easy to connect with a person that looks you in the eye and talks, and, and when they talk with you, it's like you're the only person in the room who doesn't want to talk about themselves. They want to find out how your kids are, how your grandkids are. What's happening in your marriage? What's going on with you? What are your loves? What are your likes? What are your desires? What are your dreams in your life? It's pretty easy to love those people. It's pretty easy to connect with those people. Because as their, as their hearts are postured in humility and they're depositing in, into your life and they're serving you through humility, something happens in that transaction. John 15, nine through 13 says this. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. He goes on to say, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandment and remain 
in his love. You see, when this idea of obeying the commandment is an act of submission, it's a, it's a heart posture of humility. It's recognizing who God is and who we are and recognizing the fact that we ain't him. And so we live our lives in humble submission to obey God's command. And when that happens, this love is expounded in our lives. It, it builds on us. It builds in that relationship. Our love for him is demonstrated through our obedience to him, which then he pours out our love and it increases and increases so that it overflows onto the rest of the people that are around us. And he goes on to say this, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So as this love is increased in our lives through our humble submission to the commands of Jesus Christ and being obedient to this idea where love just kind of perpetuates itself over and over and over again, a kind of joy wells up from within us. This is the better life that we're talking about. A joy that builds up within us. You see, God, the better life that God wants us to live is not just surviving from day to day. He wants us to have a joy welling up from within us, overflowing to the people around us as this love continues to grow, perpetuated by a humble heart that is obedient to the command of Jesus. So what is the command that Jesus gives us? He, he tells us, Go to the next one here. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And this love that he's talking about is a Greek word, agape. And it's, it's different from other kinds of Greek words for love. There's actually several different types of words for love in the Greek language. This one is one that's used to, to characterize God. It's how we describe God. It is a self-sacrificial, where we, where we sacrifice what we want and what we desire for the betterment of other people's needs without any expectation for anything in return. It's the same love that God demonstrated to us when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. It was an unconditional, self-sacrificial love without any expectation in return. He did it even though he knew some people would reject it. It's that kind of love that we're talking about. And that kind of love that's demonstrated in a heart of humility that serves other people brings joy, that better life, that better life that we that we want to live because we're depositing relation, into relationships and it's building a stronger love between each other. That's the life that God wants to live, wants us to live. And he says this in verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend, the ultimate act of humility, that I will lay down not only my life, but my desires and my dreams and what I want and my rights and all of that so that you can benefit, so that you can be better so that you can get what you need. I will forego what I want so that you can get what you need. It's a selfless act. It's how we're supposed to act and conduct ourselves in the church. Paul says this in Ephesians 5.21, check this out. And further, submit to one another out of reverence, again, this posture of humility, this posture of bowing, out of reverence for Christ. 
It's in a famous passage of scripture where we talk about husbands and wives and we talk about kids and their parents, bosses and employees. What does it mean to love one another, to be, to be submitted to one another, to bow low and serve one another, to forego what we want and what we desire and what we think we deserve and what we think we've earned. We forego that for the sake of what's benefiting someone else. What kind of world would this be? What kind of life would you live? If in your relationships, your friends knew that all you wanted was what's best for them, all you wanted what would benefit them, what would take care of their needs, and you knew that all they wanted what was best for you and what would benefit you and what would provide for your needs, and together you knew that God had both your backs and he was lifting you both up because your hearts are submitted in humility to this idea, this command of love and serving one another. You wouldn't have to worry about what people were saying about you behind your back because you know they would be building you up. You wouldn't have to worry about, about fighting for that promotion or making yourself known so that people would think that you were great because you could trust the relationship. What kind of world with that? What kind of marriage would you have? If, if you and your spouse knew that all you wanted were, were what's best for each other and you were out serving one another and you knew together as you were submitted to Christ in humility that God was lifting you both up, wouldn't that solve a lot of arguments in your marriage? This is the type, the type of culture, the type of attitude, the type of posture that we need in our lives. What kind of life would that be? Hopefully, we know somebody like that. Hopefully, we know that person that we can sit across the table, and they will stare into our eyes, and they will listen to every word that we have to say, and listen to our hurts and our desires, and care like nobody else was in the world. There's actually a really cool story about this. There was a young lady who um, was having dinner between... Um, with two uh, candidates for prime minister in England, in the United Kingdom. Brilliant men, both of them. William Gladstone and Benjamin Disraeli. So this happened a long, long time ago. But she had dinner with these two candidates for prime minister, and a reporter asked her afterwards, hey, what was it like having, having, uh, having this dinner with, uh, with these two incredible men? What was it like talking to William Gladstone? And she said, oh, Mr. Gladstone, after I was done speaking with Mr. Gladstone, I thought for certain he was the cleverest man in the room. Wow, that's pretty impressive. What was it like to talk to, to, to Mr. Disraeli? And she said, oh, after I spoke to Mr. Disraeli, I thought perhaps that I was, I was the most cleverest woman in the room. You see, Benjamin Disraeli understood something. He was actually known for it. It was why he won the election that year. He understood that if he cared about the needs of the people he was speaking, he endeared himself to the heart of England because they thought he cared about them. He, he knows what I'm going through. He knows my hardship, and he cares. He listens to me. Because Benjamin Disraeli understood a very important reality, that while humility builds a better life and humility grows a stronger love, humility also develops lasting leadership. By positively influencing other people, that's actually what leadership is, it's influence. That's what John Maxwell says. Leadership boiled down to its purest form is influence. 
Philippians 2, verse uh, 3 through 11. We're going to just kind of go through this quick, and I'll break it down. It says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Lord, have mercy. We need that in our culture right now. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't only don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. That's what Benjamin Disraeli embodied. That's why he endeared the hearts of the English people to him, and that's why he won the election. Think about, think about it. This is what happens. When we are confident in who we are in Jesus Christ, and we humbly serve other people, it actually does something else as well. It actually frees us from the chains of pride and arrogance in our life. I mean, think about living a life free from caring about how cool other people think you are, how great other people think you are. Because when we live a life like that, we are, we are bound by this performance mentality. But instead, if we know who we are in Jesus, if we live a life postured in humility, we can show how much we love them by serving them. See, Jesus knew who he was. He knew the power that he had, and yet he embodied humility. Look what Paul goes on to say. This is what, it, this is what he says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, what attitude was that? Here it is. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to or something to be used for his own purpose. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the posture we are to have. That's the posture of humility, laying our lives down for the benefit of other people, realizing and knowing that God himself is lifting us up. He goes on to say, therefore, because of that posture, check out what happened. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that name of Jesus where every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess or declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the reality. The posture that we are to take is the posture of a humble servant willing to forego what we want for the sake of other people. And we have a connection to God, not completely unlike Christ. Christ actually, Scripture tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. Right? So we have this relationship with God, and even though we have this relationship with God, tapping into the divine creating power of the Almighty God, we are to, to forego that divine privilege for the sake of other people who don't even believe what we say we believe. It's the posture of Christ. And in reflection of what God says in Proverbs, when Jesus humbled himself, what did the Father do? He elevated him. And it's that same process that Proverbs talks about with us. And it hasn't changed. That's how God has always exerted his power on creation. It's been like that since the beginning of time. It's been like that since the first century church. That God, when he wants to exert his power on the world, 
when he wants to influence the world, when he wants to show his might and his strength in the world, he doesn't send the tanks. He doesn't send the missiles. He doesn't send his armed forces. He sends the suffering servants. He sends the meek and the mild and the broken, those people who have been made whole in his presence to go into the highways and the byways and to reach the broken and the hurting and the people that society has cast aside. That's how God influences the world. And it's how he's always influenced the world, through his humble servants. And that's what Jesus embodied. We see it in the Beatitudes. The world's culture, the world's value system says the powerful will be powerful. The rich will get richer. The mighty will get mightier. And they will take advantage of anybody else. But God says my value system is different. It's different than that. The humble will rule. The first will be last, but the last will be first. Those who are broken will be made whole. And those who want to lead have to serve. See, what's happening in our own culture, we see the antithesis of this, the opposite of this. We see in our culture that people want to gain influence and power by taking it away from somebody else. It's getting, it's getting more heated every day. You have a group of people who think the powerful are misusing their power, so we're going to take their power away from them by outbuying them, outsourcing them, outmaneuvering them, overpowering them, overthrowing them, and they don't realize that the power that they gained through that process is never as much as the power that they wanted. And it's certainly not power or influence that will last. God's economy is very, very different. Because in God's economy, you don't gain influence. You don't gain power by taking it from somebody else. You actually grow power by serving other people. You grow leadership. You grow influence by serving other people. You see, the power that we get from taking it from somebody else, eventually somebody will think that we are misusing our power and they'll take our power away. They'll take our leadership away. They'll take our money away. They'll take our influence away. But people who serve the least of these always are depositing seeds of influence, seeds of love, seeds of relationship into the lives of a lot of people. And as they do that, they have relationship and influence in those lives. And so when you start with a little and posture yourself in humility, guess what? God does a lot with that. And not only is it a lot of influence and a lot of leadership, but it's, it lasts for all eternity because we're doing it for the kingdom of God. The wealth and success and the power and stuff that we pull from somebody else for in this world will remain in this world. But when we sow seeds of, of humility and service we actually grow an orchard of leadership that will last a lifetime. Everybody wants to talk about overpowering or, or outbuying the other person's influence, but nobody ever talks about outserving, which is the posture that we're supposed to have. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, 42 through 45, this is what he says. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. We see a lot of rulers of this world lording it over their people. We see a lot of posturing for power and influence in our world. 
It's not a political statement. It's a reality. And it's very easy to get caught up in that. But Jesus' command says, among you, it will be different. How? Watch this. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the posture that we're supposed to take. A young woman many, many years ago felt a call of God on her heart, and so she moved to India. And in the back streets of Calcutta, she decided to humble herself and serve the least of these, those that were cast out, cast down, cast aside from society. And Mother Teresa, through every little act of serving, created a worldwide movement, opened orphanages, and affected the lives of people around the world because when you give God your little in humility, he can do a lot with that. And at the end of her life, after starting with very, very little and serving the least of these, at the end of her life, her funeral was attended by some of the, some of the, the, the most powerful heads of state around the world, witnessed by millions and millions and millions of people around the world, honored by the Catholic Church who made her a saint. by serving the least of these. She wasn't a great order. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of power. But she sowed seeds of influence through her, her heart of humility by serving the least of these. See, the kingdoms of the world only care about power. Holding on to it, gaining it. And we could spend our time railing against that and trying to take their power away from them. Or we can serve the least of society and grow our own movement that will make an impact around the world, not just today, for, but for all eternity. What part can you play in that? If God can take a woman in the back alleys of Calcutta and impact the world, what could God do through your humble heart as you serve your family or your community or your neighborhood? Imagine what God can do when a group of us get together as a church to change our community or a bunch of churches to change our state and our region, not by railing against the powers. By, we need to speak truth boldly, but by serving the least of these. What can you do in your life, who can you serve into the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you can use the little we have and do something incredible with it. 
And so, Father, I pray for those that have maybe been beaten down by life, those that are humbled through their circumstances, through a world that doesn't care what they're going through. Lord, you care because you have a special place in your heart for the broken and the hurting, for the humble. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, they would turn their hearts to you and that you would lift them up in your infinite compassion and mercy. And Lord, for those of us, God, that maybe had hardened our heart to the needs of those that are around us, Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy and through your your love and your compassion for us, God, that you would forgive us and that you would soften our heart and that we would through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, humble ourselves and allow you to lift us up. Help us to love one another better, to love the least of these better. Help us to serve those around us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.